watchers in the fourth dimension. I am honored to be here and to be part of your plan. Very foolish. Very foolish indeed, young man. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. I'm the leader. I have the knife. Do you want to argue about it? This episode, we are finally heading back to the planet Kemble, where the Doctor and his friends are facing the Dalek threat from two stories ago. Yes, it's the legendary epic, The Dalek's Master Plan. A quick note on how we're structuring our discussion of this story. As this one is so absurdly long, clocking in at 12 episodes, we'll be splitting it into two podcast episodes, each covering six episodes of this story. We'll do our behind-the-scenes information for all 12 episodes in this podcast, and items like the metric and our ratings will be next episode. So, since this is so absurdly long, we'll be doing a short summary in each podcast episode covering the episodes that we're covering in the corresponding podcast, if that makes sense. This story was commissioned by previous producer Verity Lambert, who'd been asked by the BBC higher-ups to maximise the use of the Daleks since they were so absurdly popular. With those instructions, she expanded a planned six-part Dalek story to be written by Terry Nation into a 12-parter, with the idea that Nation would write six episodes, Spooner would write the other six based on outlines from Nation and Nation was returning for his sixth outing on the show while this was Spooner's fourth and last credited writing job on Doctor Who. Old Terry wrote episodes one through five and episode seven while Spooner wrote the rest. And it was actually during the recording of this story, and I kind of find this ironic given that it was Verity who commissioned it, that both producer John Wiles and story editor Donald Tosh submitted their resignations from the show. Wiles had never been happy as a producer and actually wanted to go back to writing and directing, and this, coupled with an increasingly difficult relationship with William Hartnell, brought things to a crisis point. The relationship between the two got so bad that Wiles started making plans to have Hartnell replaced. The fact that his superiors didn't support him in this made him feel that his position of producer was untenable, and then Tosh resigned out of loyalty to Wiles. Directing this story, we have the return of our dear friend Dougie Camfield, who directs all 12 episodes. What an absolute hero. And he had, of course, previously directed The Crusade and The Time Meddler, as well as a part of Planet of Giants. Handling the incidental music, we have Tristan Carey returning with actual new music. He'd previously provided music for the original Dalek serial, The Daleks, and Marco Polo, and we most recently heard his music from the Daleks reused in The Rescue, and it will also get reused a couple more times in the near future. Finally, designing this story, we have two series stalwarts. Original designer of the Daleks, Raymond Cusick, returns for his 10th and final job on the show, and Barry Newbury comes back for the sixth time, having been the designer on the show's very first story. So we have the two designers who are really responsible for a lot of the aesthetic of the show to date and setting that initial tone. We'll move into our short summary, which this time around is in the hands of Don. Over to you, my friend. The Doctor and crew arrive on the planet Kimball. About four episodes too late to do Mark Corey any good, but better late than never, I guess. Speaking <laughs> of which, despite not telling anyone where he was going, a search party consisting of Private Deadmeat and the future Brigadier arrive to find him. Joining forces with the Doctor, they discover a plot by the Daleks, various other conspirators, and a dollar store among the Merciless. Their real master plan was friendship all along. Well, until their friend's usefulness runs out. Fleeing from the Daleks, hunted by security agents, and with an ever-growing body count, our heroes try to keep the key to the ultimate weapon out of the Daleks' plungers, or at least escape with their lives intact. 
Next time, Merry Christmas from the doctor. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Can one say tonal inconsistency? It was pretty internally consistent. It just wasn't consistent with anything we've seen before, especially from Nation. Yeah, it's definitely a much darker story, particularly in the first half. I think we start seeing a little more comedy, or we will see some comedy next time around. But yeah, this is um, intense. We start with an episode called The Nightmare Begins, which is wonderfully ominous. It works so well. Because watching 12 episodes of Dalek action is your idea of a nightmare. Sorry, 12 extremely drawn out episodes of Dalek action. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned that it was supposed to be six, and that it was drawn out to 12, and I'm like, you should have left it at six, or yeah. four. Especially considering that we're six episodes in, and we still don't know what the, literally what the time destructor does. Yeah. I mean, it destroys time, obviously. Uh, just, there's no explanation as, as to why this is good for Chin, or the rest of the rogues gallery. I'm, I was a little confused by that. I'm like, so you destroy time... That doesn't really leave you with much. <laughs> to me, it's just a name. It's like the Death Star. It sounds interesting. <laughs> you know. It's funny you bring up Star Wars because uh, I think it's a couple of scenes into this first episode where we have a really long, drawn-out like speech on the on the screen by Chin. It just goes on and on. I was like, that's it. That's where Lucas got his ideas for like the Senate scenes for the prequels, right there. <laughs> this nice, dry, intergalactic politics C-SPAN kind of thing going on. I dig it. You know, and we also had some things thrown in there, like the non-aggression pact, and you know, a lot of things that we really absolutely need to know about. Well, and I'm still waiting with so much anticipation to find out what, what the score was of the Mars versus Venus games. <sighs> <laughs> I'm 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 broken hearted that we never got to find that out. So in the nightmare begins, we we get a literal water cooler exposition dump. It's almost like they didn't learn from the space museum. So we had our like prequel episode a month before this, and everyone's forgotten about it because we've messed around in ancient Troy for a month. And now we come back and we've got people discussing Marvik Chen, the guardian of the solar system, and what he's doing and all of and. It's just this huge exposition dump, and it's tedious. I was more bothered by the fact that, once again, we have another story of humans out in the jungle being hunted by the Daleks trying desperately to transmit something. I'm like, didn't we already do this? That yeah. part was a bit of a retread, considering in the previous serial, he hadn't told anyone where he was going. But again, since that happened over four episodes ago, people might not know. And so it's kind of like a, in case you missed it last time, this is what happened. Yeah, you're not really, no one's going to have a chance to go back and rewatch anything. Because after it was broadcast, that was it. But we do get the introduction of Brett. Yeah, Brett is the worst, kind of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's really not that bad, but he's not great either. He's not compelling. He's... The same throughout the entire entirety that he's around and just kind of a jerk half the time. He's very headstrong. Very much your, your macho space hero. There we do get one of the things that I think we're going to have to do stats for just for this serial, which is the body count. Oh my uh, god. Yeah. 
the first one to go is his buddy Kurt. Yes. Right? Private dead meat, as I called it. Because <laughs> he was injured already before anything even started. I'm like, well, he's gone. <laughs> I guess no. Just to prove how brutal this world is, he says to Brett, go off on your own or I'll kill you. <laughs> go die in the jungle or I'll just kill you here. I mean, those are your choices, dude. It, it seems to be like a recurring theme here. You know, when Brett forces his way onto the TARDIS, he threatens to kill the Doctor if he doesn't hand over the key. So we've had two death threats already within the first episode. We also have that same pattern repeat itself later on in, in The Traitors with the guy from the uh, from the prison planet. You know, if you just yeah. ask nicely. You mean the, the prison planet, also known as Desperos? Yes. Because it is home to such Desperos people. Uh, good old Terry. And also they did look like members of Three Dog Night, at least from what I saw. <laughs> so I'm going to call Terry Nation out on something. You guys remember when Ian, Susan, Barbara and the Doctor were in the Dalek City and Ian wanted to be the one to go to the TARDIS to get the anti-radiation drugs that the Thals had left behind and Susan made up that bullshit about the lock and how if someone other than her or the Doctor tries to open it, the, melt the lock will melt because there are weird combinations inside the lock or something. That gets completely abandoned here and the Doctor hands over the key and Brett just waltzes in. Wait, wait, are you saying that Doctor Who continuity isn't perfect? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> In two stories written by the same dude. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, it's been yeah, a while. Yeah, fair enough. I just want to call out Terry. I mean, I also want to talk about how poorly Katarina's written, but, you know. Who? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a case of they did not know how to write for her. I don't think we really need to talk about Kariki McRedshirt because we would talk about her longer than she's ever on screen. <laughs> she's there just to, to screw another actress. She does provide us with a wonderful line from the doctor. Look at Katarina. She doesn't ask any questions. <laughs> she doesn't have any lines. Be more like her. She's... <laughs> Barely a character. And she doesn't even know what tablets are. Bless her heart. <laughs> the other supporting character in this episode is Marvik Chen. I love Kevin Stoney as Marvik Chen. I'm not sure Marvik Chen is a great character, but Kevin Stoney, for me, shines throughout the entire story. And I get the feeling I'm alone in that. No, I, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, and I agree with he is wonderful at playing that character. But oh my God, do we have to go back to him like every five minutes and have him give a little bit of exposition of like two or three words and then like move on? Because it just keeps going back. Yeah. Oh. I think I might be alone in this. Cause I feel like I'm the only one that enjoyed this story. Oh, I really enjoyed it so far. No, I enjoyed it as well. I think we may all have enjoyed it for very different reasons. So Marvit Chen, he, so from some of the photos, he kind of looked like the actor was in blackface. I did some reading up on this because I'm me and that's the kind of stuff I do in my spare time because I have no life. It turned out the intent was they wanted to make him blue. <laughs> I thought he was in um <laughs> to bring something back Mongol face. Yeah, that's kind of what I got. No, he he was in blue face because you know this is five thousand A.D. and humans have started breeding with Smurfs. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, he's he's meant to be uh, slightly blue. They knew it was in black and white, right? Yes. 
Cool. We end The Nightmare Begins with the Daleks approaching the TARDIS, which is one of the most disappointing cliffhangers ever. I mean, maybe it was more exciting if we had the real episode, but somehow I doubt it. But that does bring us into the first real episode we've had after six episodes of Reconstruction. Day of Armageddon. I remember very, very clearly when news of this episode's return broke in 2004, and it was very exciting. And I feel like this is our entry point into what this story actually looked like, because episode five, when we get there, is a weird one. This is a good one to to have you know have the full episode of. I mean, visually, that is. You yeah. get the fl- you get the flame attachment Daleks, which are fun, and you get more aliens. We also get to see all of the delegates with their wonderful entry scene. I was sad they weren't the same ones. I did see Evil Christmas Tree in the background, I think, in a later episode. I did have a, like I did last time, I did write out a list for the ones that we did see when they walked into the conference room. Uh, we have Hunchback Vampire. We have Chubby Mummy, Dark Mysterio, Stone Cinnabite, and Black Noir. <laughs> <laughs> so of those you just mentioned, which one is uh, Zephon, the seaweed man? Oh, I didn't include him. I'm talking because at that point he was already like, I was talking about that big scene where they all walk in at the same time. Got it. I didn't include Seaweed Guy. No. Fair enough. Seaweed Guy, aka Zephon, walks in and his arms are like spread out. I'm just thinking that poor actor, how tired did his arms get over the course of filming? I like that choice. I thought it was like wonderfully, wonderfully strange and, and weird and alien. I like that. Yeah, I mean, some of them went really far because not only that, the one guy, his walk was very, very, very special. Oh, yeah. But also at the same time. The the kind of bouncy walk. The guy who looked like he was walking in a weird, like the gravity was less for him. Yeah, the bouncy walk. <laughs> yes. Yes, a bouncy walk. But yeah, so, you know, like I think all of them to a certain degree tried to do something a little bit like different with their characters. And that's, that's a pretty interesting thing. Yeah, and the fact they're calling this Universal Council together, I mean, to me, the we've had the Daleks as fascists and Nazis before, but here they seem to be giving very specific analogies to communism. We've got Vietnam going on, and you've got the, the jungle warfare and, and the burning of the jungle. Mm. And this Universal Council, to me, that, that sounded like, you know, it might almost be declared as the Seventh Communist Congress or something like that, which was what the Soviet yeah. Union called everything. So... It's an interesting switch, and it seems to be that the Daleks are just being used for any kind of totalitarian regime. To me, it seems like, I mean, we talk about how Doctor Who changes, be it through a different showrunner, through a different literal doctor. But to me, every time we've seen the Daleks, they've been different yeah. in terms of personality, in terms of what they want. And it just, it, to me, it still seems odd that they're getting people together or their yeah. invasions like why would they even bother to do that even i mean they are planning on getting rid of them as soon as they outlive their usefulness but still that seems like an extra step for them to go i mean they need they need marvik chen for the terranium or the mcguffin as you say don but even then it ah. seems like they would just you know invade somewhere and steal it rather than be all coy about it i agree i'm gonna stand up in support of Terry Nation here and say there is that line of dialogue that it can only be found in the solar system and I think there was something around how the Daleks were unable to breach the solar system. It can only yeah. it can only be found in Uranus, one of the only funny lines <laughs> in this entire serial. Was that the actual line? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I knew it was a planet within the solar system, but somehow I missed that, that it was Uranus. I, I was looking for any bit of levity I could find, so I, <laughs> I clung on to that. Wow. Going back to Zephon and his weird mannerisms and how he has his arms stretched out, when the Doctor takes his place, that's a kind of wonderful way of marking the Doctor out as different because he comes in in Zephon's robes with his arms crossed. And no one picks up on it. Well, they were already kind of peeved at, at Zephan for a just wanting to keep everyone waiting before he even got <laughs> whacked, because he had to make a dramatic entrance. <laughs> Needless dickery. Yes. Yes. There's also how many people in the room can't be paying attention to everybody. True. Jeez, he's not that special. He just thinks he is. While of the, all of this is going on, you've got. Brett, Stephen, and Katarina working on stealing Mavic Chen's spa or space car. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Terry. It was the 60s. You had to put space in front of everything. <laughs> I got a serious Flash Gordon vibe from that spaceship. I mean, you already yeah. mentioned Ming the Mercy yeah. as Mavic Chen, but that felt very like old school 1930s Flash Gordon with big bobbly levers and all that kind of stuff. I loved it. I just like the way he sort of barges in when I'm taking over the ship. Just a statement. Your ship is now mine. Brett Vine is very no-nonsense. Yeah. And then you have this gorgeous Art Deco interior that when you see the model shots of it in space in the next episode, it just looks awful. It's just not a good design. It's not. I like the outside of it. Oh, we're the other. We're the opposite from each other, Julie. Maybe. <laughs> I feel like maybe uh, you know, since we had two designers on this story, maybe one designed the interior and the other designed the out the exterior. That's maybe entirely possible. The other interesting little reference that was made in this was it was mentioned that it would take fifty years for Earth to or for the solar system to provide a full M of terranium when. The Germans in World War II started doing their analysis on building a nuclear weapon. They estimated it would take them 50 years to get enough uranium to build the bomb. They were wrong, but that was their estimate. I just thought that was a, a fairly interesting little parallel. Oh, I'm sure that was on purpose. Oh, definitely. 100%. So the Doctor steals the terranium, and that kind of leads into episode three. Yes, where Devil's we're not planet. sure if he's made it or not. Which, again, as a cliffhanger, I mean, that's not terribly effective. I don't know. We've had other stories where they have gotten separated for quite a considerable amount of time. True. It just feels fairly established that this is the Doctor's way out. I mean, I guess he could go back to the TARDIS. He seemed to have gotten away from them, but since he wasn't specifically on the spaceship, you know, it could, be, it could go either way as to whether or not he actually escaped. Yeah. That's true. But of course he arrives just in time. When we actually, you know, get into space and we start flying this thing, oh my god, was it obnoxious. <laughs> oh my god. Like, I just, I was having a problem. Rumble was having a problem. Oh, you mean the noise? Like, <laughs> yes, it was that noise. not some of their better sound design work, I'll say that. And I wonder if it would be that bad if we actually had the episode. Yes, I think so. The The sound wasn't as distorted as I think the Mythmakers was. Yeah. So I think I I think the, the sound quality was good enough that I could probably guess that it was probably not good. 
So it was in this episode, I, I know when we did Mission to the Unknown, we we grumbled over the fact that Terry Nation didn't seem to know the difference between a galaxy and a solar system. I had a thought in this in the middle of this episode. And that was, you know, Earth has this empire. What if the empire, the name for the empire is the solar system? Are you fan wanking? Maybe. <laughs> you are fan wanking. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because in, in particular, it was really uh, striking in, in this episode where uh, Zach Efron, when he's explaining to them, like, who jumped him, he's like, they came from the solar system. It's like, that doesn't really narrow it no. down. <laughs> <laughs> and he kept saying that and i just it was like what is what what is he trying to say and i don't understand and zephon is you know the the sign that this alliance is already the cracks are beginning to show man <laughs> he's blaming the daleks he's blaming marvik chan no one quite trusts each other i mean this is, this is I, I get the feeling zephon's gonna always blame anyone but himself no matter what happens yeah oh he is excellent at the blame game so so good well he's not yeah that excellent. yeah he kind of loses it in the end <laughs> i quit do you now that scene leading up to his death that's one thing i really wish we had because i could hear the tension and i wish we could have seen it and exactly what the actors were doing in the run-up to him being killed I feel like that probably would have played out really really well on screen i think so also we need to add him to our death count so that's, what, three? Or have we had more? So far, we've got Kurt and Zephan. So right now, we're just at two. Oh, it gets, it gets bad oh. real quick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we start heading towards... Desperous. Desperous. We're desperous to get through the serial. <laughs> so I felt like the first two episodes really, really well paced. And this is where we start meandering and it starts getting a little off track this is where the stretching comes yeah because first we needed extra episodes two we needed to have a call back to the guys from the mission to the unknown we had to have them in those wonderful little visors when they're looking at the terranium which is great so yeah it's just a bunch of filler yep and there's no reason to go to desperos at all i guess narratively they have to pick up a criminal so someone can you know airlock katarina that's miles and his bullcrap uh, uh, yeah the serial itself while interesting is very disjointed and it's it's disjointed to talk about it because you're getting zipped around the galaxy from one thing to another i think it's because we don't really know how it ends we are literally discussing half of a story i would cut like yeah the prison planet is ridiculous well unless something crazy happens with the prison planet the only thing that it has is it for some reason shows you that they're trying to kill each other while on this planet which i don't really know why they're trying to kill each other but they are and then oh hey look they see that something's landed so let's go after that and then we all know it happens later if they're gonna do it, they should have just stayed there, because then you can have, like, an escape from New York in space kind of thing. Uh... They didn't. They squandered it. Instead, it was just a way of getting someone on the ship so that they could, you know, kill off Katarina. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that's so interesting to me about this serial is, like, I mean, especially knowing that it's 12 episodes long, I kept going into each episode after, like, the first episode, like, ready to, like, okay, where are we going to hunker down in? Where are we going to settle in? Where, where's, where are we going to stay? What location are we going to stay? And go through all the plot for. But it's just, like, it never happens. I don't know. Terry Nation gets paid by the location. I, I know. It's like, the, it's like the chase. 
but instead of like just you know funny little vignettes from one to you know to another it's literally still trying to tell you a story which doesn't really necessarily connect too well especially with desperus because it just feels tacked on and like it's i'm trying to think of like the term that screeners say you should always when you're writing you should always say the next thing happens because not and then and then and this feels like an and then when he was writing right. instead of yeah, 12 everything happens for a reason yeah exactly uh, so we have some filler stuff in which it turns out the one who has the knife is the leader it's just like fire <laughs> we have a stowaway blood curling scream next episode let's go <laughs> One thing about that scream, though, I think Katarina can run for her money. Oh, that scream was blood curdling. Yeah, it was very good. Look, when you've been given that little to do, what what you are given, you've got to you got to work it. Yeah. Well, I think we should go ahead and get to it. Katarina in an airlock. Dun dun dun. Episode four: The Traitors. Yeah. See. I got that, Riley. I Thank think you. it went over Anthony's head. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, her and uh, what's-his-face both get President Rosalind. They say she did it on purpose, <laughs> but I think she hit it by accident. She didn't know what yeah. a, you know what an aspirin was. How is she going to know which button to press? That's true. Like I think of every episode we've done so far, every missing episode we've done so far, this is the one I would like to see the most. I'd like to see how this scene plays out. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Uh, it's, it's weird. I mean, on the loose can reconstruction, it's animated, and I'm assuming they are going off of camera direction. Note. Yeah, I, I think they have. I think they have all that. I, I was very curious because it's really interesting to see what type of tone they hit with that. That's had to have been somewhat shocking because everyone's settling in, thinking like, "Here's our next companion." Oops. Yeah. The other thing to also think about is this was originally, I think, written with. Was it originally written with Vicky in mind? Yep. Mm -hmm. Because. How upset would you be if that was how Vicky went? I would be upset, but it would have had the right amount of emotional weight. Because frankly, I don't know Katarina. I don't care. She was supposed to die anyway, and she lived for about five minutes, and then she went out in airlock. It didn't matter. With Vicky, she would have hit that button on purpose. They would have given her a nice close-up shot, determination in her eyes, and she would have said, screw you, buddy, and it would have been over. Oh, that would have been so gutting. What's very telling is they knew before they'd even filmed a single scene of Katarina's, they knew she wasn't going to work out. The first scene that Adrian Hill filmed as Katarina was the death scene. (laughs) That's just such a a waste. You you go to to kick out your established companion to bring somebody else in and then immediately kill them off for no good reason. And, you know, at, at the end of the episode, we get Sarah Kingdom coming in and Nation was asked to write her in to fill the role of female companion because oh. they had already decided we're going to kill Katarina. The other thing that I didn't get with Katarina is like the doctor is like, I will always remember Katarina, one of the daughters of the gods. And I was like, <laughs> what? I will always remember whatever her name was. Oh, God. If only there was a heart no flub on right. her name at that scene. That would have been Catherine? amazing. Katie? Catherine. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna take this up. Christina to say I really miss Verity Lambert already. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but on the bright side, at least we know that John Wiles has pretty much already quit. 
good. <laughs> and one more thing about this is, okay, not only are we going to do all this, we're going to show them floating in space. To be fair, we don't know how that would have actually looked. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I just think in universe, how funny it would must be, like, eventually somebody, <laughs> we're, we're 4000 AD coming across like, how the where the hell did this come from? This person from ancient Troy. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on Kemble, I was very amused by okay, so the Daleks killed off Zephon, which means we now get another delegate being the voice of the delegates who on Marvic Channel, the Daleks. Mm -hmm. It just feels to me like while they all have a very distinct visual representation. And I think that's in a large part down to Dougie Canfield. They're not scripted well. They're not scripted to be actual characters until they're needed. No, they're just fulfilling a role. Yeah. So we killed off one. Well, we've got to elevate another one into the role of the first one that we just killed. Well, the one they killed off was really only there to be wearing a cloak so the doctor could sneak in. Also true. So we get introduced to Sarah just as a, hey, you need to go get them. Don't ask yeah. questions. Just go get them. And they comment how wonderful that she doesn't ask questions. This mm -hmm. whole serial is very big on people being very happy that women aren't asking questions. Is there something like deep inside Terry Nation that's like we need to discuss? He's having some problems, perhaps. <laughs> is it Terry Nation or is it the fact that Verity Lambert isn't running? I think it, I, I blame I blame Wiles. He seems to have a problem with yeah. women. Yeah, I mean, he's already thrown out two female companions. I just yeah. imagine that he has like constant like threats to like future female actors. I'll throw you out the damn airlock. You better watch <laughs> it. Uh, so Sarah Kingdom was brought in to be kind of Doctor Who's answer to Kathy Gale or Emma Peel from the Avengers. Kind of badass woman in leather. While she may like strut in and just kill Brett, she doesn't actually seem that badass to me. I don't know. I mean, she seemed more badass before they got through the transmitter or whatever that sends them away with with the mice. She's. I mean, at first, I was like, she is like just cold blooded. She wanted to shoot like, him in the head. I'm like, they're not zombies. There's no need for that. <laughs> Aim for the head, she says. It's, it's almost like she's been brainwashed. You know, a little she's bit. Just so brutal and unnecessarily so. She doesn't I, ask questions. Well, I mean, Brett was kind of the same way. I think it was. Um, it was Sandov who talked about this. This regime is just so ridiculously brutal and totalitarian. Well, it's um, so funny because they were under some sort of peace agreement, and yet they're this brutal. A very brutal peace. Yeah. And <laughs> Sandov mentions that if the Daleks weren't around, this is the kind of regime the Doctor would be working to overthrow. Yeah. Tonally, it feels so off with the rest of the show so far. And that's not to say it's not enjoyable, but just at times this feels like it's a completely different show i don't think we we've discussed my favorite character Daxstar. was he the uh totally not gonna betray them guy this is the person that yeah. brett kept saying like oh man we gotta get a daxter yo man we'll figure this out he'll help us out daxter daxter and i'm like man we're really building up this daxter guy <laughs> incidentally he was originally just going to be called daxter that's not spacey enough. Well, that's yeah. exactly what they said when Nation scripts were submitted. They were like, we, we're going to space up most of the names, if that's okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I just love that Daxter, like, all this build up, he comes in for one scene, 
Axel confuse him and gets killed. <laughs> it's, it's it's practically comedic how it's written, especially that it's Brett himself who kills him. I mean, it just seems so completely inconsistent for Brett to be like, oh, this guy's great. He's wonderful. And then like only in one scene is his faith and his trust in him completely shattered. And he completely kills him just off of that. It's a brutal universe. Yes. But if we're talking about names, Sarah's partner's name was Borkar. <laughs> and that is that's just the best i think he was originally meant to be barker barker so again. Much better. <laughs> yeah it really <laughs> is funny he sounds like he'd be porkin's cousin from star wars <laughs> with sarah gunning down breath at the end how many deaths are we up to so far sick damn and four of those are in this episode yes yeah this episode is not pulling its punches oh no bunch of traitors I do love how political Marvik Chen is. I mean, obviously, he's meant to be the suave leader of the solar system. You know, he comes in, he tries to discredit Trantis, he claims that the Doctor and his friends come from Trantis's galaxy. It's, okay, Zephon's gone. Who do I need to take down next? That's actually one of the things I, I really enjoyed about this serial, was it's not just, oh, look, here's the Daleks running around exterminating people. It was very much, there's just an element of it that reminded me of Thing. In that you, yes. you never knew who you could trust. Yeah. And I, I like that about this serial. But really, it's that like, you just can't trust anybody. Yeah, that's true. I think one question that will be interesting to come back to when we get to the very end is, uh, who was the real villain of this piece? Was it the Daleks or was it the enemy within? That takes us into episode five, Counterplot, which has steven's wonderful corduroy blazer oh i'm so glad you mentioned that <laughs> that thing was gigantic it really was the shoulder pads were magnificent ian had so much better fashion sense than steven ever will thank you've you, never yes. forgiven him for shaving <laughs> just admit <laughs> i mean you're not wrong but still it was it was so bad that coat is it needs to be burned absolutely needs to be burned this is an interesting episode to actually have. Of all the ones we've watched so far, this one's probably the weirdest. I like it, oh, though. I think my favorite part about the psychedelic scene, that montage, is that it's very clear that Steven is just bouncing on a trampoline <laughs> at one yes. point. And, and Sarah Kingdom, and I don't think they could get William Hartnell onto the trampoline. That's the only <laughs> reason the Doctor isn't bouncing up and down. He was clearly just like, nah, man, not happening. I was like, why aren't they showing the doctor? And then I'm like, okay, that makes sense now. Oh, they were making the best faces, though. That's, that scene was wonderfully bonkers. <laughs> I mean, it's still another contrived scene where they're going to be sent to yet another planet for... I don't really feel like there's much of a reason for them to be sent there other than then to just get them away from people that they were trying to capture them. Well, I mean, you've also, during the course of this, they've got to move Sarah onto their side. Yeah. yeah. We, and it's so strange how Sarah's personality changes so much. She just seems so much more congenial after that being beamed across. <laughs> no, no, they were disseminated across. Disseminated. <laughs> Disseminate. It's almost like when they wrote her originally, and like her first couple scenes, like, oh, she's going to be like Maga, just going to be like brutal and just chop, 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 chop. And like, oh, wait, oh, we're going to try to like have her buddy up. Okay, we need to actually start start writing her in that way. I think it was partially that, but I think it was partially they wanted her to seem strong. And then 
you know, have something, I won't say drastic happen to her, but, you know, like something disorienting and to kind of throw her off balance yeah, and to shake her face. in order to then, yeah, I think that's more of what it was. Speaking of heading to a new planet, one thing I really appreciate, and I want to give some kudos to the two designers on this, they managed to make the jungle they land in look and feel very different to the one on Kemble. And I think it would have been so tempting just to reuse that same set, but they didn't. And I really like that. Agreed. Mm -hmm. And I actually think they did a good job with the invisible monster things. The Visians, I believe? Yeah. They should have been called because the Invisians. Because they're invisible. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird premise and maybe not like the best thing to have, but considering what they had to work with, I feel like they did a decent job of I, I feel like at that point when I when I saw they were going in the oh the invisible creature bit, I was like, so we ran out of money for this serial then? Is that why we're doing this? The the other thing I love as a cap to the the what the transmutation transmission what did they call it the molecular dissemination when they land the doctor's like the mice couldn't have done that i just want you guys to know douglas adams was 13 years old at this oh point. there you go and okay. he was apparently a doctor who fan by the way i do have the mice on my death count as well i was about to also, ask so the dalek pursuit fleet who were destroyed for their failure plus the daleks and some visions how many Daleks are you counting as being in the pursuit? I, I didn't put a number. I just wrote it down. So we'll, we'll, we'll take a swag at 15 We'll say Daleks. $15. Okay, and how many do you think were killed by the, the Visions? Three. Three. And how many Visions? Three. Three. Okay. Everything is a um, is divisible by three. In <laughs> Why not? It's 12 episodes long. That's divisible by three. All makes sense now. <laughs> Julie would rather that those 12 episodes had been divided by three. <laughs> and that was the number of episodes in this story. Agreed. Um, one thing I did like is, yet again, the Doctor knew things about this planet, and that made me happy. Basically, I like it any time that the Doctor shows that he's the Doctor, and he's like, oh yeah, I know about all these random planets. It makes me very happy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. I love how the Visians are said to be eight feet tall. Why stop there? Make them make 12 feet. Yeah. <laughs> make them 20. I mean, it's actually rather important because if it were like eight feet, the where the trees were rustling and things like that makes sense and that the dogs would be able to point and shoot at something that's fairly lethal. If it were 20 feet, where they're aiming would hit their legs, so they probably wouldn't have died. So, you know, it has, it has to be reasonable. Yeah. This is going to be really random, but the Visians, when they're ha when they're get the two the three of them that are that are killed i swear the noises they make or maybe their death scream sounds like little john i don't know <laughs> keep an ear out for that one other thing don mentioned how the main point of this episode was to basically get sarah kingdom round to the cause of the doctor and stephen and the, the good side basically when they're talking about what she thought the terranium might be used for she talks about it being used to spread peace <laughs> How? <laughs> what the hell were they going to do with it that would spread peace? And a full M of it. Stephen has a really good point when she says this, when he says, oh, so you just blindly follow orders. And I'm like, that's that's the whole thing. It's like they blindly follow. They yeah. don't ask questions. 
to the point where she even kills her own brother because that's just dropped in. Yep, which seemed a little bit unnecessary. In the original version of the script, he was going to be her lover. <laughs> lover, brothers, Tesla <laughs> Diff. I think part of it is so you could be able to connect with her a little bit more because she was so abrasive and so strong at the very beginning. It's kind of like a, you know what? While she's really tough, she lost something because of it. Yeah. And I suppose it also True. shows how much of a, a follower she is. Yeah. I'm wondering whether that might be a deliberate illusion. You know, the whole, I was only following orders. <laughs> Don't ask questions, just do as you're told. And, uh, you know, when, when you're eventually held accountable, just following orders, Gov. Anyway, that's all, uh, all, all resolved when the Daleks show up and that convinces her. And that leads us into what I think is one of the best cliffhangers so far. With the doctor just saying, I'm afraid, my friends, that the Daleks have won. Oh. Shivers. All right, so what is this one? Coronas of the Sun, episode six. This is the first one that was written by Dennis Spooner in this story. So we're out of Terry Nation land here. Interesting, because this episode has my favorite line of the entire of the first six episodes. The Daleks and Chin are bickering back and forth of like, who's to blame? And that after Chin, like, you know, makes some explanations as to why there's no teranium and such, the Dalek just says, you make your incompetence sound like an achievement. I'm like, the dogs have just met their, the dogs have just met their first politician. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote as well. Oh my goodness. I think this is really where we start seeing the difference between the two writers because Dennis Spooner does dialogue and witty banter so well. And yes. Well, Terry Nation has come up with some great concepts, that has never been a great strength of his. And you can actually tell the difference between that, because this one, while it's somehow more dramatic, because it's like, oh no, the Daleks have them, and you know, a lot of crazy things are happening, it is also the most lighthearted of the whole thing, because of just witty banter. Yeah. That whole scene just got me like fantasizing about how much I'd love to see a Dalek up on like a presidential debate stage with all the other human candidates. It would just be so wonderfully funny. <laughs> so uh, Daleks versus Donald Trump, please. Presidential debate 2020. It seems like the way that Chin is played in that scene and the Dalek is getting angry, it's like Chin is like really enjoying, you know, winding up the Dalek. And it's just like, it's so, that is just so funny to me about like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really piss him off and just needle him and watch him get all, you know, ticked off. That just, it just seems so funny to me. Marvick Chen has just been doing a wonderful job both in this episode and the previous episode of making it seem like he's doing really, really well and everything is the fault of the Daleks. Like he's just playing them. Yeah, I just wish I had a better understanding of what his end game was because I don't really understand it. I, I understand his current machinations, but I don't really understand how he envisions himself to come out on top after the Daleks do whatever they want to do with a time destructor. He explains his evil plan. I think it's actually in this episode. Is that to the uh, the, the bald the, fellow? To the guy that I think should be added to the camp count because everything he says is funny. Um, yeah, he's basically gonna gonna take the terrarium or whatever it's called and use the the thing to blow up the daleks at kimball and then take over ah, the rest okay. of the solar system <laughs> more than the solar system he wants the yes universe. eventually but that's his starting point is to wipe out the daleks that's his 
evil plan. It's bonkers, Mwah. and it's wonderful. Well, at least he's not turning the earth into a big hoopty, so, you know, it's... <laughs> what I love, though, is, like, so, that, so the doctor's like, I have a plan, and half of his plan is based on, oh, hey, Barbara pulled this thing with the Daleks way back in the day with mud over its eye, so, hey, Steven, <laughs> do what Barbara did. And I'm like, yay, Barbara still has influence. So we, we had Steven wearing cardigans in galaxy 4 now he's pulling the mud trick steve is not the replacement for ian he's the replacement for barbara <laughs> yeah i love it much. let's let's have our fingers crossed for him to wear a absolutely gorgeous historical costume in the next serial then oh if only we had the next serial so this is to me where this all starts to devolve into the chase kind of now it is more I, feel, so. I feel like I feel like we've already been going through it. <laughs> Even more so. So we have all this stuff with the Daleks controlling the ship, and then they're not controlling it, and then they're controlling it again. It's like, oh my god, just make up your mind. And then we have Stephen being told, "Hey, don't do that." And then Stephen's like, "But I want to do the thing. Don't do the thing." <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like that because he's from a time before this. The Doctor's from a time ahead of it. So Stephen, who is a primitive by these standards, does make himself look like a primitive and knocks himself unconscious. Again, I think that's, that's Spooner being Spooner and, and writing these things better than Terry Nation possibly could. I love it. And then like things that it's like, oh yeah, like when he was shot at and he didn't get exterminated because of this force field. I'm like, that's a whole bunch of poppycock and nonsense. But yet it works anyway, and we believe it, and we just move on. Right. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So we, we do the old Terranium switcheroo. One thing I really, really loved here was by the time they're heading out to face the Daleks, so they, they arrive back on Campbell, and the Doctor's, you know, in very hushed tones says, now we must face the Daleks. And, and think about the chase and how they've basically been turned into comedy figures. And, and between... Mission to the Unknown and the first six episodes of this, the Daleks feel threatening again. You know, going out to face them is a big deal. That's what I mean. The Daleks are different every time they show up. Yeah, and here they're very threatening. I completely agree with you, Don. So, after some flim-flam, <laughs> we escape in the TARDIS and get a cliffhanger. One last thing before that is the doctor gets very, very angry at Steven to the point where he sounds like the cranky old doctor again who hates everybody. And I'm just like, do, do we have to go that far? We can tell Steven he was wrong without being like, well, we'll just throw you out. At least he didn't threaten in the same way with <laughs> he did with Ian. <laughs> just going to drop you off at the next planet and good luck. But then we, you know, end the episode. So, yep, we we are left on a cliffhanger with the whole atmosphere of wherever they have landed being extremely poisonous or entirely poisonous, I should say. It kind of feels like we've left the Daleks and Marvik Chen behind, but I guess we'll find out more next time. We've covered six of the twelve episodes. We'll be back next time to see how the rest of this story goes, and then do our metrics and ratings. In the meantime, all of our previous episodes are available on your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watches4D, and you can also email us at Watches4D at gmail.com. But for now, thank you very much for listening, and have a good one.
You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippeck, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Poppycock and Nonsense, was recorded on Tuesday the 5th of November, 2019. And always remember, if you're John Wiles, the best way to write out a companion that isn't working is to flush them out of an airlock. Hurrah!